0: you're listening to the co-main event
1: podcast and now your hosts ben folks and chad dundas That's right, you're listening to another episode of the co-main event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up the news, noteworthy and hilarious happenings in the world of Mixed Martial Arts. Ben, how you doing this week? Well, as far as I can tell at
0: this stage, I'm going to have this cough and congestion for the rest of my life. It's been a long road for you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still not 100%. I don't know what it is. I, maybe this is just how I live now.
1: I'm you am not never, happy about it. You never got a diagnosis or anything. You never like sought any manner of, of medical intervention or found out exactly what was wrong with you. Am I correct in assuming that?
0: You are correct, sir. Yes.
1: So you're just flying blind, really. Like For all you know, you could go down there. They could, they could give you a pill and you walk out a free man. But here you are just suffering.
0: This is your concept of uh, modern medicine, huh? You walk in there, they look at you over, yeah. listen to some stuff, read the numbers, then hand you up one pill. Yeah, they could have given go, you
1: the uh All right, I'm out of here. Could you could have given you some of the antibiotics?
0: I've heard of those. Yeah. I've heard I've read uh mixed reviews on Facebook. <laughs> but those those on the vaccinations. Yeah. It seems like the jury's still out. Maybe on could those. Have,
1: could have gotten you some of the Tamiflu. I don't know. Something that to make you feel better. Instead of coming in here every week, giving us a report about how you're at death's door, just gutting it out. That's what we're doing. I mean, that's that's been your choice. Your choice has been to gut it out. And I'm in too deep now. See, now if I did just
0: get a magic pill and it fixed everything, I'd feel like I wasted too much time. I don't want that. I, I now I'm committed to this course of action, and I will follow where it leads.
1: You. So you are good day, sir. You are. I said good day. You are essentially pot committed here. The <laughs> yes. Sunk costs of of trying to gut your way through this cold have reached a point where you're just you got no choice no choice at all you're on the you're on a track that's right well i guess that's one way to do it you must respect it remember guys you have one week left to order the blaze before it comes out the book drops next tuesday january 21st and it'll be on shelves everywhere wherever fine books are sold But you still have time to do me a major solid and pre-order that bad boy. Just go online to your favorite retailer or head on over to your local independent bookshop and order The Blaze today. I need your support. I want your support. The only way that they're going to let me go on continuing to write books is if I have your support. To that end, don't forget to come see me when I'm out and about next week. On Tuesday, January 21st, I'll be reading at Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon at 7 p.m. The next day on Wednesday, January 22nd, I'll be over there in Houston, Texas. Never never really spent much time in Houston.
0: So next week, when we're supposed to be recording a live chat and a movie club episode, you're yep. going to be in Houston, goddamn Texas. I will be at
1: Houston, Texas. So if anybody wants to come to Murder by the Book at 6.30 p.m. and check that out, they can get the live chat in person. Well, see, that's I think if they show up... To, where where was it again in Houston,
0: Texas? Uh, Murder by the Book. Murder by the Book. 6.30 p.m. If they show up there, they should, by rights, be able to demand a full discussion of the 2006 film, The Proposition, which is now ahead 54%
1: to 46% in the voting. Yeah, you bribed everyone and they went ahead and voted for it, so you must be real proud of yourself.
0: I am. That's sour grapes by you, but... What are we going to do there? What are you, you're screwing up our schedule with your damn book tour.
1: Don't care. On Thursday, January 23rd, I'll be out there at Poison Pend in Phoenix, Arizona at 7 p.m. Come on out. Say hi. I'll sign your book. Who knows? Maybe we'll fall in love. I don't know. Go to the,
0: go to the Poison Pen. I beg of you and demand Chad Dundas spend an awful lot of time talking about his feelings on the proposition.
1: I will not have watched it. It by is then. your right. We got music again this week from our guy, uh, Ras Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on this episode of the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M Ross. That's Stockholm Ross. Stockholm Ross. We got three rounds, as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Connor.
0: Connor. Connor.
1: Then in round number two, Cowboy. Cowboy. And in round number three, let's see. What the fuck else is going on here? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy Andrew Millington. That's our main man, Andrew Millington. He writes, my guys, I'm so conflicted. Back when the whole USADA thing kicked off, I was beyond excited. The The TRT era was ending and the flimsy excuses for fighters to juice... Then, parentheses, that pesky hypogonadism were gone. Vitor had gone from the wheel kicking sword of Damocles back to being a fit dad who had five minutes of good fight in him.
0: Five is. Ambitious, but I was
1: convinced that this was the best thing that could have happened for UFC fighters and the very ideology of fair competition. Looking back, I'm kind of furious at how naive I was. This Jessica Penne thing was the icing on the cake of nitpicky test failures that include Tom Lawler, Josh Barnett, and Nate Diaz. I don't want it to go back to the comparative Wild West days of fight night tests, but surely this partnership shouldn't push fighters into retirement because of the infinitesimal amounts of questionable substances. Uh, what do you think the solution is?
0: Yeah, the Jessica Penne thing definitely highlights. For me, the thing that it really highlights is just how differently people are treated uh, in the USADA era. You, there's no way you can convince me that if John Jones had had the exact same test results that he'd be in the same situation. Yeah. Going like, oh, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I can't. Like, I, I'm looking at a four-year ban. Like, there's just no way. There's absolutely no way. I mean, look how Nate Diaz got his shit resolved with a quickness yeah. by calling false on that USADA testing stuff. So that, to me, is a major issue about it. As far as, like, what the solution is, I think two-pronged. My My solution is two-pronged. One is that maybe we do need to adjust the thresholds for what we're even looking for with some of the stuff like, like you talked about in your story you did where basically arguing that we live in such a contaminated world that if we're going to be counting picograms out here, we are, don't necessarily know where they came from. Yeah. And so that, that's a problem that maybe if you raise the threshold, then you're only catching the people who are actually intentionally using it.
1: Um, and the UFC has established some minimum thresholds just on certain substances. My understanding is that Jessica Penney, by her own admission, uh, when she took it to notes last week, said that she had tested positive for picogram levels of stenozolol, which is not one of those substances that the UFC would have set a uh, a minimum threshold on. Stenozolol is like a... Uh, pretty hardcore bodybuilder steroid. Like, yeah, but like then, that That gives the... I mean, I'm not saying... So was what of John Jones... What was his picograms from? Uh, uh, his was uh, uh, Torinobol, which is somewhat different, but, uh, like... But you're not allowed to have any Torinobol. So, <laughs> like law gives the impression of J.P. Now, I'm not saying that's what Jessica Penney was doing, because you could certainly get contaminated with that substance either through uh, at the lab or with the equipment that they're using or, you know, any kind of uh, dirty implement that you would use to like drink your protein shake or whatever. You could get that small trace element of, of anything in your body. Uh, it just so happens that the thing that she tested positive for is not one of these substances that the UFC has added to the list where they're establishing these thresholds that you have to go over. But at the same time, I think you're right. I think that like we are, number one, uh looking for such small uh, measurements of these substances that that like it doesn't give us a any kind of uh, uh, like a meaningful uh, read on who is actually using performance enhancing drugs right
0: and the other thing that I would say my second prong is we need to adjust the way they handle the adjudication process because like one of the things that comes out when you read Jessica Penny's thing is the cost of arbitration Uh in in the system that's set up now Uh and Josh Barnett went through it and spent a lot of time and money basically just to get vindicated by the arbitrator and you could see how Josh Barnett had that luxury because he had a little bit of money and he was willing to take the time and Uh, A lot of other fighters who have been in the same situation or at least claim to have been in the same situation with like, hey, I had a contaminated uh, supplement that I was taking and I did all the reasonable precautions. I I took all those. I did everything you could really expect me to do and I still ended up here. And those people kind of got railroaded a little bit by Yusada being like, hey, look, either you accept this punishment that we are offering you. Or you go to an expensive and time-consuming arbitration. And they just felt like they didn't have that option, so they they took the punishment. And then Josh Barnett shows you by example, like, hey, here's what an arbitrator would say in that situation. If you did, an arbitrator would basically let you off with a, a verbal warning. And uh, smack around USADA a little bit in response for trying to get him to accept a, a stronger punishment than what he probably deserved. And if if that's the situation you have where... Some people can afford justice, and some people just can't. Then yeah. there's no way you can t- say that you have a fair system.
1: Right? Yeah. And the system, the the worldwide anti-doping system, not just what happens in the UFC, uh, really favors people that have means and people that have, you know, celebrity. And really, ultimately, in many situations, comes down hardest on the people who are the most vulnerable, people who can't really defend themselves. Uh, so I agree there is, there's plenty of opportunity for like reforming the system here. And as I've said on the podcast before, the UFC is in kind of like a unique position, uh, just in terms of having the resources and the freedom to reform its own drug testing program. And we've seen some reforms come down the pike already. Uh, and I think that the only thing stopping them from going this route would be the sort of maybe public relations challenge of coming up first with a really stringent anti-drug testing policy and then, you know, years later giving the impression of having backed off it. But like in my opinion, I would like to see the UFC kind of go through and uh totally revamp the 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 drug testing program, not necessarily follow strictly the WADA code, which seems like it's a, a cookie cutter uh, anti-doping prescription that doesn't really uh, tailor its services towards mixed martial arts or any other real professional sport so you know the UFC could do a lot of things differently and I think I kind of suspect that's the way they are trending right now uh, but they still have a long way to go and as as far as like uh, Jessica Penney is concerned you know we we've seen her taken it to notes statement, and we've seen USADA come out and release their statement, essentially saying, we look forward to our day in court.
0: Yeah, theirs was a little disingenuous, I thought, especially when they're like, hey, we're not forcing her into retirement like she claims. We're giving her this option for costly arbitration. And you're like, man, that's not what she meant when she said right. that she was being forced to drive. You know what she meant. We all know what she meant.
1: Yeah. And like as is so often the case with a, a fighter personally writing their statement, it's really hard to tell exactly what has happened or transpired or what the truth might be. So I think with her specifically, we have to wait a little while to, to see the actual story come out. Um, but at the at the same time, I feel like policing performance enhancing drugs in any sport and maybe particularly mixed martial arts is one of these things where it sounds really simple until you actually try to do it yeah. and then it turns out it's real it's really really complicated
0: i mean i would worry a lot less about the cost of arbitration and that kind of stuff if we were dealing with a sport like Pro football, yeah. where you have a player's association for one thing to look out for you and, and you have a, a rep that can step in there and help you out, but also where you all have a league minimum salary of like a quarter million dollars a year. That would take away a lot of my concerns about the USADA charging this fee to even start arbitration. Then, But with fighters, you know how it is. Like A lot of them... Or looking at it going like, okay, wait a minute. So I can spend a bunch of money that I don't have, like uh, the same model I already try to use for training. And then at the end, the best case scenario for me is you just let me off and I get to go back to trying my best to book a fight and survive until then. Yeah. I I mean it's – yeah. I'd feel a lot differently about it if they were being paid a lot more and if they had a, a fighters association to look out for them.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Clint H., who writes, When McGregor versus Cerrone was announced, I thought the same thing as a lot of cynical MMA fans. This is uh, transparent, preferential matchmaking by the UFC to get Conor back in the win column and make a bunch of money. But recently, I realized that this only stands out because it's in the UFC. In boxing, it would be considered ideal matchmaking. A big name coming off a loss and a long layoff gets a crowd-pleasing uh, but clearly beatable opponent. Everyone loves to talk about how they miss pride, and a big feature of that product was tossing their stars and occasional softball. Is it possible that this kind of matchmaking is actually a good thing? Would it have been better to give uh, Kane Velasquez a low-ranked opponent last year instead of immediately feeding him to Francis Ngannou, or will this kind of matchmaking only serve to further dilute the UFC's bloated schedule? Thanks. Uh, well, that's I think a good point. For, for starters, like the boxing style of matchmaking didn't come about by accident. So like clearly there are some positives there. Clearly, especially if you are trying to build stars and make money in the world of combat sports, uh, that's a viable way to go for, for boxing is to do that Just sort of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, mismatches and uh, fights where you, you are pretty sure that your star is going to win, et cetera, et cetera. It just – In mixed martial arts, not only did the UFC choose a different track early on, and and I think you can make a pretty easy case that choosing the track of competitiveness was one of the primary uh, factors that paved the way to the UFC's early success, Uh, but at the same time, like, trying to get your guy a winnable fight has proved, at least historically, to be a tough go in mixed martial arts, just because there's so many ways... To either win or lose a fight, it's not as big of a sure thing as it is in boxing. And you start picking, hand picking out these these fights for people to to have and 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 to win and build their reputation. Well, your guy ends up losing one of those. Yeah. Just ask Kimbo Slice. Well, but Kimbo Slice, uh, I would
0: argue, is a extreme example because it was he was more of a paper tiger than most when well, it yeah. came to the full skill set of mixed martial arts. But I, I mean, I agree with the point that. In in boxing, they would do this kind of thing and everybody would go, well, yeah, this is just what you do here. Like I I did the math on this one, on the situation and the money draw we're talking about and everything, carried the one and here's what I came up with. And yet maybe I guess the thing that makes it harder to, to swallow in mixed martial arts is our refusal and the UFC's that's our refusal to be honest about what we're doing here. Like if everybody was saying like, okay – Here's, here's the situation. The UFC wants to get Connor back in the money here so they can get back in the Connor money. And so it went around looking for somebody and it settled on Donald Cerrone. He checked all the boxes. He was the perfect fit. And so that's what we're doing and that's what this one is about. Uh, and instead, it's like, it's up to us, like the media and the fans, to be like, okay, here's what you're doing. Nobody else is going to, everybody else is going to talk like, all right, two of the best lightweights in the world are going to go at it here. And this is, we're just going to see where everybody falls. And it's clear. Uh, you have a way you'd like to see this one fall. So uh, that's, I guess, what bugs me the most about it, is just the the way the UFC always knows how to sell a fight is this the same way every single time. Yeah. And even when we can all see what you're doing, you want to pretend you're not doing it.
1: Yeah, not even uh, Conor McGregor appears to have a great reason why he's fighting Donald Cerrone. This is from the interview that he did with Ariel Helwani today, earlier today. The question, how did we end up with Donald Cerrone as your opponent? You seem to have many options. Why him? Conor McGregor's answer. Well, I said I'd fight him. I mean, me and Donald had a history, and it's an exciting bout. It's a fan-friendly bout. It's a fight that excites me, and it's a fight that I'd said I'd partake in, and I appreciate it. I appreciate Donald. He's fought a lot of times. He's also a family man with his grandmother and these things. I appreciate that, and I respect that. I also respect the method he went about uh, getting the fight uh, with proper 12 whiskey and all that uh so much work goes into these things to have a bit of respect i appreciate that and i look forward to having a good bout okay so the first thing he says is well i said i would do it yeah so here we are
0: the reason i'm doing is because i said i would do it which generally in life not a bad reason to do things but yeah not the most compelling case for why this opponent well we all know why
1: yeah, I mean it's going to look like a lot less of a of a gimme putt if we if we're talking about Tom, Donald Cerrone tapping out Conor McGregor with a triangle next Monday, so. Uh, in mixed martial arts there's just a lot of ways things can go true also Kimbo Slice was a great example there Uh, from David Latteray what are your views on cheering for fighters who have views on the world you're strongly morally opposed to it seems like the more we learn about any individual fighter the more likely we are to find something about them that we can't support I'm sure Habib has some questionable views on the role of women if you really pushed him You actually don't have to push him. No. You you can look at the archives. Check the record, bud. You actually just have to be a little girl who asks him a question about it. Yeah. Like, that's all it takes. Or we could ask him his opinion about sexy plays. He doesn't like those either. (laughs) And Cowboy Cerrone seems to be not super into the idea of trans people being a real thing. So is it fine to just ignore that stuff? Or I don't know. What do we do? Would it be... would be exhausting to only cheer for politically correct fighters. Go sage, I guess. <laughs> uh, I wrote an article about this like three weeks ago. Like MMA fans sticking with their with their fighters even after they learn things about them that they find morally questionable. And while I was reporting that story, as you know, Ben, I found out about the concept of moral decoupling. Yes. Which is essentially means that uh, people if people like something, according to this... Uh, Uh, academic journal article that I read. I can't remember what journal it was published in right off the top of my head. Uh, But – and essentially there's a a – Modern jackass? Essentially there's a psychological uh, uh, process that people go through where if they like something, they will reverse engineer a reason why it's okay for them to continue liking it. And part of that is moral decoupling – Which is, it's actually a very simple uh, process with kind of a fancy name in that you just decide that even though Habib Nurmagomedov might have some questionable views on the role of women, as David Lottery writes, it's still okay to think he's an awesome fighter. Like you can decouple the two things. Right. And especially the last sentence
0: here would be exhausting to only cheer for politically correct fighters I mean, that's, that's the thing. That is the thing. I remember the thing that you always like to say when I w- will know like, well, I was following this fighter on Instagram until like he went on a rant about how he'll never drive a Prius because they're for pussies or something and fuck the environment. And you just sadly shaking your head and being like, the less you know about any of these people, the better. Yeah. And that is, that does often feel like how it is with MMA, especially. And... Yeah, I, I get the sentiment that you're like, man, if I start looking around, if I have to vet every fighter that I start to get interested in and start to be a fan of, and I have to figure out, like, okay, what are, what's their view on healthcare? Like, Like, you're looking for a presidential candidate that I might end up just deciding I can't cheer for anybody, or at least deciding I can't cheer for anybody good, anybody who's going to win fights. And then you come back to like, okay, but what am I doing here? Like if I'm a fan of you for being a fighter, can't I just be a fan of you as a good fighter? Like I don't look at you as a role model. I don't want to live my life like you do. I don't want to uh, subscribe to your newsletter. I don't want to internalize any of your personal philosophies on life. I just think that the way you go in there and go about this one aspect of your life, this, this
1: business, the way you handle it, I'm into that. Yeah. I think you can do that. Yeah, I think the good news is that you get to decide for yourself. Like right. Every individual fan gets to decide for themselves. If you want to uh, really explore all aspects of a fighter's life and try to uh, uphold your own moral code in terms of who you cheer for and who you want to give money to, that's definitely your prerogative. And I think that if you don't want to do that, like that's also sort of your prerogative. I think that there are some... Um, Maybe high-profile examples of people who would make it pretty hard to do that. Greg Hardy, I think, is one of those guys. But at the same time, in most cases, like if you want to decide that you want to be super into uh, the best fisherman in MMA, even though he goes on his Instagram and and talks about how great Trump is and how he would never drive a Prius, totally your prerogative. You can absolutely do that as an MMA fan. So, Yeah, it's. I mean –
0: yeah, and I would argue that maybe at some point you have to do that. But then at the same time, like I do think when you're listening to Cowboy Cerrone, be like, oh, "I don't, I don't believe that trans people. I don't believe that that's a real thing." And that's another one that might
1: make it kind of tough.
0: Yeah, well, that's and that's I guess it's kind of like the conversation we had about Mike Perry, right? Like just insisting on using the N word on social media, and you just wonder like, if he knew better, would he do better? Is that, is that possible? Is that a possible explanation? Or are you just trying to rationalize it to yourself at that point? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it does make it like once I'm forced to find out your views on some of those things, then I mostly just wish I hadn't. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, it's a, then again, it's the same thing where like I want to enjoy the novels of Dashiell Hammett. And then when I read anything about the way Dashiell Hammett lived his life, I'm like, well, that seems like a horrible human being. Still kind of think they're good books though. Not so different.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Molly Hatchet, who writes, freezing temperatures, a crackling fire, and some moderately cold beverages. Hint, hint. During the MMA downtime, uh, I was allowed to stop and reflect on 2019. My dudes, I'm drawing a goddamn blank. I'm trying to conjure up great moments. Uh, of the last year, but it's all black and white stills with Ken Burns style narration. I look at all the MMA media posts with their best ofs. And I think, sure, why not? How do you fellas manage your life with MMA? If wild folk like me are getting burned out.
0: Yeah. I, I, I relate to this, especially because uh, when you're trying to look back on the year, when just it's so like when I was trying to look at, do something, I think for the mailbag where somebody was asking me like about the biggest stories of the year. And it's, I initially felt the same way where it's just all a blur. And then when I start looking back at actual things that happened, I was like, oh, yeah, GSP announcing his retirement. That was last year. Like, it seems like it was three years ago. Yeah. And somehow it just seems like we packed so much in and I my brain does feel fried at the end of it.
1: Yeah. And like I think it, is, it does have a lot to do with us packing so much into, into one year. Because when you really think about it, like, 2019 was kind of a good year in mixed martial arts, or at least a lot of uh, interesting and good stuff happened. You know, you had Henry Cejudo become the the champ champ. You had the rise of Israel Adesanya. You had Jorge Masvidal become a a kind of a bona fide star after being in mixed martial arts for 20 years. Uh, You know, you had a lot of uh, different things happen that that, – our highlights or that would be highlights if you had the strength and energy to, to actually think about them. Uh, and for me, I think that I have had to go through the the process of really not necessarily whittling down how much MMA I consume, but like how much MMA I consume avidly sort of like, uh, you know, one of, one of the reasons that I feel like the jobs that we both got at the athletic are, are uh, attractive to us is that, You don't, you know, it's not a requirement of the job. You don't have to write, uh, like a, uh, a a breakdown of every single fight. You're not publishing on your website, uh, capsules of every fight that's on a fight card so that you don't have to sit there for eight hours and actually, you know, watch UFC Tulsa or whatever it is, uh so like you can kind of focus in on the on the peaks rather than the valleys you can kind of focus in on what's important i don't know that i would have taken a, a job i don't know that i would have come back to mma writing midway through the year for a job that that was any different and i think that that is is very cool about the jobs that we have now and i think like i would say that fans probably will do the same thing or are doing the same thing uh you know letting a lot of the watered down stuff kind of Go by without too much notice and really focusing in on the, you know, the, the important stuff, the stuff that feels like it has some gravity to it. At the same time, we have talked at great length about how that creates a problem in the sport, just because you have everyone starts somewhere. Yeah. Like a guy like Jeff Neal, who just beat uh, Mike Perry and now seems like he's this ascendant star at that weight class at the same time. Have we missed as fans or spectators important links in the chain that would make Jeff Neal a bona fide MMA star? You know what I mean? Like right. we haven't tuned into him, or most people haven't tuned into him previous to this.
0: Right. Or like we talked about like somebody like Chase Hooper, or like a guy, a young guy shows up and can be like a real thing if people get the opportunity. But if you condition people to just be like, uh, I gotta tune some of this stuff out, man, because I it's just there's just too much. I can't dig through it all, then something has to rise to a certain level just to even be noticed, just for them to even know that it happened. And and then, yeah, like if you turn right around and go to the next event next week, there's just not a lot of time for people to, to sit with that stuff.
1: Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, I guess the good news is it's really easy to unsubscribe.
0: You As, know what people should also consider doing, Chad? They should consider supporting this here podcast by going over to patreon.com slash co event. Because that's where we got a lot of good stuff, including the aforementioned movie club, the live chat, when Chad's not off on his damn book tours, gallivanting all over the world. Uh, also, the Friday Power Hour, a whole other podcast each week. Plus, you just get to make it so that we can continue to put out a podcast without any annoying ads with a completely unfettered discourse, free of the corporate fat cats. You know how I hate those corporate fat cats, I know Chad. you do.
1: Got to keep the discourse unfettered.
0: Patreon.com slash co event. Support us there. We will love you forever, intensely.
1: As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, this Saturday night... Over there at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, UFC 246, the first UFC pay-per-view event in 2020. Headlined by the notorious Conor McGregor versus Donald the Cowboy, Cerrone. Conor McGregor returns, of course, now 31 years old. His first appearance inside the UFC's octagon since his loss to Habib Nurmagomedov at UFC 229 in October of 2018. Donald Cerrone, we all know the story there. He's been around and doing his thing nonstop. Since we were all children, this interesting thing about this fight, Ben, one of the interesting things, uh, the rare pay-per-view headliner with no title on the line, UFC uh, usually quite loath to put a a, a headliner out there with no title on the line. But of course, Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone, maybe two of the personalities in the sport who are capable of carrying an event and probably doing pretty well at the box office without putting a little gold on the poster. We're going to start this round talking about Conor McGregor. And then in round number two, we will talk about Cerrone a little bit. Uh, Let's start here with Conor McGregor. Still a huge star. Still, uh, uh, we, we believe, I guess, Maybe after this event, we will have a better take on exactly how big a star Conor McGregor is at the moment. But stands right now as the biggest uh, pay-per-view draw the UFC has ever produced, kind of by a wide margin. But we talked a lot in the weeks leading up to this fight about how that star has seemed uh, to be on the descent in recent years, obviously a lot of out-of-the-cage trouble for Conor McGregor, a lot of personal personal issues, a lot of time, frankly, just spent away from the cage, not really able to capitalize on any of the momentum that he uh, established in mixed martial arts in, in previous years. Let's start off just by telling me where you think Conor McGregor stands in the sport and kind of like what you are looking for as he makes this return this weekend.
0: yeah. I, I was watching a video that uh, they had an MMA fighting, uh, that I believe Pete C. Carroll did on an MMA fighting. Did you see us where he's mm-hmm. out on the streets in, in Dublin asking yeah. Irish people, yeah. like, are you aware of Conor McGregor's fighting? Are you? What's your current hype which, level for which,
1: it? Which is a good video to play here in America, where oftentimes it doesn't feel like we have a great sense of how... People in Ireland are reacting to McGregor in the moment. Like we we are told over and over again, he's this huge star over there, right? But we don't really get any like actual kind of on the street perspective from those people. So a good a good piece over there by Pete C. Carroll. Yeah,
0: and when you kind of look at the cross section of people he talks to, he has a good range of people just demographically too, like all ages and, and every, represented and everything. And people being uh, a lot of people being like, I wasn't even aware he was fighting. And then other people who are clearly MMA fans and are speaking our same language and who are very aware of these fighting and talking about how they're concerned about welterweight and stuff like that. But it does seem like there's a a combination of factors. Like, one is definitely losses. You lose to Floyd Mayweather, you come back to MMA, you lose to Khabib Nurmagomedov. Neither one of those fights is particularly close. If you're going to be the swaggering superstar... You start losing fights, and it hurts your ability to maintain that image, yeah where you 're talking about how you run the game and everything also just inactivity the last time we saw him was a little over a year ago, and so when you 're just not around that much there's only so much you can accomplish via Twitter, yeah, and it seems like a lot of his legal troubles have made him want to be around a little less or in the public eye a little less or just as accessible. Uh it seems like there's a lot of questions maybe he doesn't want to be asked, yeah, and so that affects how he goes about his public life, and then also, I think that you you can't go through all of that stuff and the him running around in these streets uh causing trouble like and the stuff where beyond just stuff where it's allegations and people are wondering, did he do this thing that he's accused of, but also like their video. Of a lot of this stuff, yeah. And when you see that stuff, it just gets a little harder to be quite as supportive about the character Conor McGregor has created for himself. You're like, wait a minute, the character also just like punches old guys in bars <laughs> for refu- who don't want to drink your whiskey because that doesn't seem so cool. And st- and then when they come up with uh, allegations of sexual assault in- investigations, too sexual assault investigations centered around you, then that's when it starts to be like, okay, this isn't fun anymore. Right. And I think all that stuff combines together where people are going, you know what? I was having fun with the Conor McGregor hype train there for a while. And then it took a turn that I wasn't in support of. And so when you come back, you kind of can't come back and just jump right back into the same shtick. Yeah. It doesn't feel the same.
1: Yeah, it's it's a hard—I'm I'm interested to see how he will do in the cage. I'm interested to see how he will do against Donald Cerrone. I'm having a hard time having much fun, I guess, with the return of Conor McGregor because of some of the out-of-the-cage allegations and stuff that we've seen from him during his time off. Today, when he did this sit-down interview with Ariel Helwani, uh, Helwani did ask him about the sexual assault investigations against him. I think that these are McGregor's first public comments on that topic. We'd heard from Adi Attar, his agent. We had heard from a publicist who uh, is employed by McGregor, but this was the first time he personally had responded to those allegations. Uh, Ariel pressed him on it, asked him three times, which I actually think is, is pretty admirable, didn't actually say the words uh, sexual assault in here, but at the same time he did. He kind of
0: got cut off at one point where yeah. he couldn't
1: get there. He, he asked him a few times. He said, here's the, the – I'm reading from the transcript that they published on ESPN today. It says, in August we covered a lot of stuff that happened over the last year, but serious things have been alleged and written about you. Is there anything you want to say about these allegations? McGregor responds, look, just no, I can't say anything about this. It just has to take place. Right. He's talking about, I think, the uh, investigations. And then Ariel says, does it bother you that people call you? And then McGregor cuts him off and says, would it bother you? Ariel says, yes. And then McGregor says, they do. But and then. But Gregor does this thing where he's, he's been talking in this interview a lot about how he has learned to just put blinders on. Time, patience. Patience is a skill we must master. Patience is one of the most valuable skills a human being must master. And I'm working hard to master it. And I feel I'm getting there. So time time will show. That's it. Right now, I'm focused on the bout, focused on positivity, good thoughts. And I'll say a prayer for those who try to cross me or try to bring harm to me with these types of things. And that's it.
0: Now, in the transcript. The, where it says, but serious things have been alleged. There, uh, it's a link to stories about the sexual assault investigation. But yeah. if you're just watching the video on this and you don't know, like you're not in the MMA bubble enough to know what's going on, are you just confused as all hell? Do you come out of this going, well, I guess I got to Google this to find out what the hell they're talking about?
1: Maybe I'm too far inside the bubble to really know, man. I think it would be hard if you have any interest in Conor McGregor at all. I feel like it would be kind of hard at this point to not know about the sexual assault allegations, even though like he's kind of made himself scarce like I feel like if you're following the career at some point you would probably run up against the allegations but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that i'm I'm not sure uh, It's amazing to me to think, Ben, where McGregor was. 2016, basically yeah. in this run, that it doesn't obviously start with him knocking out Jose Aldo at UFC 194, but kind of if 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 the uh, Conor McGregor career ended today, like the 13 second knockout of Jose Aldo might be the high water mark. Like obviously the Nate Diaz fights set by rate records, the Eddie Alvarez fight where he became the champ champ and won the the lightweight championship was another real highlight at UFC 205. But like all of the uh, madness surrounding the Jose Aldo fight culminating with this moment where McGregor comes out and essentially proves that he is as good as he has been saying he was by knocking out the longtime champion Jose Aldo in 13 seconds uh in Las Vegas at UFC 194 it's it's amazing to me to reflect on that you know uh 5 years ago or so To where we are today with Conor McGregor, where he appeared to establish all this momentum leading up to UFC 205 where he beats Eddie Alvarez. And then, I mean, and I guess maybe to his credit, like you got to kind of give him credit for doing this. But instead of capitalizing on that momentum in mixed martial arts, he crossed over and fought Floyd Mayweather and made, you know, $100 million, $150 million, which obviously is great for him. But like he hasn't really ever returned to MMA along with the momentum that he had at that point. Because the only time we've seen him back since then is this loss to Habib.
0: Now, do you think it's
1: possible that he could regain that? Because imagine
0: he comes out here and he beats Donald Cerrone. we talked about this with Lister Mail that it seems like this was a fight put together as a means to an end. Yeah. Like to get Conor McGregor a win in, in an exciting fight, a fan-friendly fight, as he put it, and over a guy who still has a name that people know, But also who is not quite as fearsome as he once was and the book on him is kind of out there. Yeah. And it seems like he plays to Conor McGregor's strengths. If he goes out there and he beats Donald Cerrone and he's back on the mic yelling all this stuff and picks a good fight for himself next, is it possible that some of the momentum starts to build again?
1: I mean, he's saying he wants to fight it three times this year at least. He's calling this a season. It's the season of McGregor or whatever he referred to it as in, in the interview with Helwani today. I mean, we all expect him to beat Donald Cerrone. So I think for it to be impressed by it, he it would have to be something really, really like uh, jaw-dropping. Right, which I think is kind of what we expect to happen. But like, you know, with all this talk swirling around Conor McGregor and all these out-of-the-cage things happening and him stomping on people's phones and these multiple sexual assault allegations – We forget that the guy is really, really good at what he does when he's on. You know, like the Jose Aldo knockout was jaw-dropping. The way that he just basically handled Eddie Alvarez in their title fight was somewhat jaw-dropping. So, like, if McGregor comes out there and has sort of a vintage Conor McGregor performance and does something really impressive to knock Cerrone out in the first round, I think that'll be really good for reminding people who he is and how basically like, how much fun it can be to watch him. But I also think, like, just in terms of how he acts after it, I kind of feel like we need to see a different Conor McGregor right now. Like, a different Conor McGregor at this stage in his career. He's not the guy saying he's going to tear down Jose Aldo's neighborhood and put a sweatshop in or whatever. You know, he's not the guy saying that... uh, You know, uh, whatever all this stuff he said about Nate Diaz, he's not the guy who's going to say these things about Dennis Seaver several years ago. I would like to see him knock out Donald Cerrone and like, like be the Conor McGregor that we know he can be, and kind of like uh, be charismatic and be exciting, but at the same time, kind of be realistic about where he's at and where he's headed.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing because if. You beat Donald Cerrone and then you're jumping on the mic talking about Khabib Nurmagomedov. You ran from me the whole first fight. I'm no, gonna become, no. Yeah, see, that's the, that's where it's going to be like a too great a uh, disparity between the reality we live in and the reality Conor McGregor seems to be living and in. Yet, you and
1: yet, you know that's what they want to do. You know that's where they want this to go. Like, I honestly would like to see a different trajectory for him. Like... I don't know that it's great either for Conor McGregor or for fans to kind of throw him right back into a Habib Nurmagomedov fight. So if he
0: gets out there and he's like, all right, Justin Gaethje's been talking a lot of stuff. That
1: would be kind of cool. Like would I, w- be kind of cool. I would watch that too. And like would, that would be another quote-unquote fan-friendly fight. And yeah. It would be, a, I think, a fight that we would all jump at watching Conor McGregor in and would be one that they could probably main event another pay-per-view with without a title again. Or even Masvidal. Like if he got on the mic and was like, hey, who's the real BMF around here? Yeah. Masvidal, let's do this thing. I, I would also be excited about that.
0: But it does seem like now he's at a point where if he's going to regain any kind of momentum and sustain it, you got to start stringing a couple wins together here. Yes. And, and they got to start, and they got to feel like legit fights. And
1: that's the thing. Like, if he goes right in against Habib Nurmagomedov again, I think very, very few people would expect a different outcome. Like, McGregor can always knock somebody out, but the way that the first Habib fight went down played like a goddamn blueprint of how to beat the guy.
0: Plus, who knows, maybe uh, your guy El Kakui just barrel rolls into a heel kick knockout, and uh, it's a moot
1: point. There you go. Could happen. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Uh, Chad,
0: um, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? You got Dana White in a video here with TMZ Sports, one of those videos where he's going to get his face super up close to the camera.
1: Just oh yeah, j- he that's is always very close. Like that's like Vanderlei Silva style, creeping closer and closer to the camera. Like
0: your dad trying to take a selfie on vacation to post <laughs> onto Facebook. Uh, but here's a quote from him talking to TMZ Sports, talking about Conor McGregor. I'm hearing he's in phenomenal shape right now. Mm-hmm. The UFC doctor is actually saying he thinks Conor is in the best shape he's ever seen him in. So are you fucking kidding me? This is, this is what we're doing now. Fucking we're, kidding go- me? we're gonna weaponize the doctor. The UFC doctor is going to be like, okay, it, this veneer of authority is lended to it by, like, oh, we got the UFC doctor. He is a medical professional, and his professional medical opinion is that Conor McGregor is in the best shape of his life.
1: Yeah. Can we get the doctor to weigh in on his camp? Where's the— Can he uh, had the best training camp of his life? I would like to see the alternate headline that is, like, UFC doctor says Conor McGregor not in great shape. <laughs> Or in 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 so so shape, mediocre shape. UFC doctor road. unimpressed with Conor McGregor's
0: conditioning, comma arteries.
1: Are you fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me. Let's not rope
0: the UFC doctor into this stuff. God damn it.
1: Ben, did you see these pictures of Brock Lesnar you know uh, going over there to back? He's going back home, essentially going back to Minnesota back to where roots. he wrestled his uh, junior and senior years there in the NCAA, working out with the team a little bit. You get to see these side by side wrestling room pictures of Brock Lesnar with the current Uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers heavyweight wrestler kind of standing right next to each other. First of all, this reminds you what an enormous fucking human being Brock Lesnar is. Because the guy that he is standing with is also very big and also very good at wrestling. And Brock Lesnar just dwarfs him. None of those, though, are my are-you-fucking-kidding-me. Okay. My are-you-fucking-kidding-me is that the name of the Minnesota Golden Gophers heavyweight wrestler is... Gable Stevenson. All right. Yeah. Gable Stevenson. Stevenson. Okay. Are you fucking kidding me? You named your kid Gable. I'm I mean, a- you don't have many options. Yeah. If you're named Gable do and you th- you're a big badass wrestler.
0: Do you think that this, uh, the guy named Gable from the Midwest, uh, do you think he ever had the option to go into musical theater? No, no. That was the thing that his family See? was
1: supported. No. Maybe you name him, uh, Brad. No. He might have been able to go in a music theater. If you named him uh, uh, Gary, he might have been able to be a scientist. Gable Stevenson is a wrestler. Yep. There's just no other option. Are you uh, fucking kidding me? The
0: only other possible option is really excellent rodeo clown.
1: Yeah. That could. That's a possibility. See, too. I was going to say rodeo cowboy, but, you know. Tomato, tomato. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
0: on the flip side, flip side of this UFC 246 headline, some might even say the B-side of this one, you have your guy, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Now, we find this version of Donald Cerrone, 36 years old, riding a two-fight losing streak, albeit a two-fight losing streak to two of the best guys in the lightweight division, Tony Ferguson and then Justin Gaethje, both of those TKO losses. And now, here he is... Maybe the losing streak combined with his general fighting style and persona have all combined to give him the opportunity that he seemed to want the most. He gets to go in there and fight Conor McGregor. Also, it seems like he's doing it with pretty low stakes for him. Because if Donald Cerrone loses this fight, people are going to be like, well, that was why this fight was put together. So they're not... He's to the point legacy-wise where... He's already done what he, we know who he is. He's done what he needed to do, and people know what to think about it. Yeah. However, Donald Cerrone goes in there, pulls off a surprise, and beats Conor McGregor. Where does that put it? Doesn't seem to me like you go from, you know, two fight losing streak to two of the guys who are already in the conversation for the title fight to beating a Conor McGregor who has returned from nightclub phone stomping and the year and change off. And then you you ride that win straight into a, your own title shot. Seems like Donald Cerrone's already had his day as far
1: as that goes, but it does it does help him get back into the relevance, right? Yeah, I mean he doesn't become the number one contender in the same way that Conor McGregor will if he if he wins this fight. But at the same time, like many of the same things that I said about Conor McGregor and how he handles this fight after it's over I think are also true of Donald Cerrone if he were to emerge as the victor like if Donald Cerrone got on the mic and said he wanted to do the damn thing with Jorge Masvidal because he's running around with the BMF belt and every damn buddy knows Donald Cerrone has been the BMF in this cage since day one lives at the goddamn BMF ranch that's right he owns the BMF ranch so like if he if he were able to cut an awesome Cowboy Cerrone style promo in that regard I don't think we would have a lot of, of qualms with it, especially since, you know, Jorge Masvidal is in kind of a just-for-fun type position right now. I mean, yeah. he may well end up fighting Kamaru Usman for the welterweight title, but at the same time, like, I don't think anybody would argue with a Cerrone-Masvidal matchup, uh, and so clearly, like, Cerrone has some, some tread left on the tires. Clearly, if he wins this fight, we don't expect him to do anything different, but you know, continue to fight a couple times a year or three times a year or however, how often he's able to fight just depending on uh opportunity and age and all those things. But, like, he's he doesn't take Conor McGregor's powers via osmosis or victory, but at the same time, like, it would be a big deal, I think, if Donald Cerrone wins this fight. And another, the one thing that I wanted to ask you, we have talked a, a lot leading up to this fight kind of about how, The way Donald Cerrone fights, it plays to the strengths of Conor McGregor. We think he understands what everyone wants to see. But at the same time, even though I think we would take issues with many of the things that Donald Cerrone thinks and believes, he's not dumb. No. Donald Cerrone knows what everyone expects from this fight, and he also knows where he would have an advantage against Conor McGregor. The more that I think about it, the more I suspect that he will try to grapple. Clinch. I don't know that he will be able to, because Conor McGregor in the early going of a fight has pretty stout takedown defense. We saw that early on against Evgeny Nurmagomedov. but I would anticipate we see at least one try from yeah, like, like a legit
0: shot. Like not, I don't know. maybe not
1: like a double leg, but like I think he'll try to clinch with him, maybe push him up against the fence, see okay. if he could trip him, see if he could pull his legs out, something like. See that. See if it
0: feels like the guy might fall down of his own volition. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not a bad idea. I think for me. If you're Donald Cerrone, the key has to be hearing the words round two. Because Conor McGregor is always so dangerous in that first round. But And Donald Cerrone is kind of a notoriously slow starter. Yeah. If he can just get through that first round and not let Conor McGregor jump on him early, when Donald Cerrone can start to find his rhythm in a fight, he's yeah, a problem. He's good. And that's when he can start to chip away on you. And Conor McGregor, as we have seen... You know, you could see a difference in him between that first Nate Diaz fight and the second one. Like, the the first one, he kind of hit a wall where he had thrown a lot out there to try to get that first round finish. And then when it didn't come, he realized he was in trouble. And you could see that panic start to set in. Like, I'm getting tired, and this guy is not ever going to get tired. And that panic then made him do dumb things and get himself in trouble.
1: Oh, you're a wrestler now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But then in the second fight, you could see that there were some moments where he seemed to be on the verge of slipping back into that same panic, where Nate Diaz is pressuring him a little bit, and he battled through it. Yeah. And, he, and he won that, but won the decision in that fight. And so, if I'm Donald Cerrone, what I want to find out is if I can get this guy into the later rounds and start to put the pressure on him and start to, to make him feel like there's, he can't make me back up. And there's less and less room to breathe. Yeah. What does that guy do? Especially when he hasn't fought in a little over a year, and who knows how intensely he's trained. If he's in charge of his own training camp out there, and maybe there's maybe he's not being put in those uncomfortable situations enough. Like that's what I want to find out if I'm Donald Stroni. And there's a chance that Donald Soroni, if he can get through that dangerous first and early part of the second round, that he can find that groove and he can really start to put it on Conor McGregor and that maybe you break him that way.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think that what we see from Donald Cerrone in this fight, provided it doesn't end in 13 seconds or something crazy like that, will tell us a lot about how, where Donald Cerrone is at right now in his career. Not necessarily like just with his abilities, but like kind of what his his mental state is, kind of how he's thinking about all this stuff. Because we've seen him be an obstinate stepping stone in the past. We've seen several fights where the UFC tried to book him against someone with the clear idea that they were going to make their name off beating Donald Cerrone. And we saw him beat Mike Perry. We saw him beat Alexander Hernandez. You know, he lost to Leon Edwards and Darren Till, obviously, but, but like he showed that he's still got some fight left in him and he's not just going to lay down and be the stepping stone for the other guy. And I think that if he comes out, and gets just in a straight-up first-round firefight with Conor McGregor, it will raise a lot of questions to me as to like how Donald Cerrone is even approaching his fighting career right now. Because you got to believe that he knows goddamn good and well that that's not his best chance.
0: Right, but also, hasn't Donald Cerrone always seemed like a guy who... When he hears the music, he's going to dance. Yeah,
1: he has. But at the same time, like he's also like a smart, good tactician in, in MMA. And like clearly we saw him do the other thing against Justin Gaethje and uh, got knocked out four minutes and 18 seconds into the first round. So you think that if you were Donald Cerrone, the human being, you might kind of be like, well, I did. I, I went out there and slugged it out with Justin Gaethje and it did not work out for me. And I have a feeling that if I went out there and slugged it out with Conor McGregor, maybe the result would be the same. So maybe I should try a different strategy. Maybe indeed. But who knows? Like, I know we're all expecting him to come out and just go to war with uh, Conor McGregor and probably get knocked out. But if I were Donald Anthony Cerrone... Fight another guy whose middle name is also Anthony. I would want to take a different.
0: If you're over there in the corner, got the towel draped over your shoulders, and you're going, "Listen, kid," doing your custom motto that you like to do.
1: Yeah, I would tell him to. Let's see if we can get this thing to round two. Let's see if we can get those body kicks going. There you go. In round two, we'll see where Conor McGregor's at.
0: And see, maybe like when people are talking about Donald Cerrone's chances for a submission in this fight, I still think his best chance to get a submission is to make Conor McGregor feel uncomfortable on the feet. Get Conor McGregor to be the one to take it down. Yeah. That's when Donald Cerrone tends to get submissions, is when other people insist on testing what they seem to forget is his very, very good ground game. If he can get Conor McGregor to be the one who either just like out of a moment of panic or uh, just trying to buy himself a, a time to breathe gets, shoots for a takedown of his own, then that's when you got him.
1: Yeah, I'm just if Donald Cerrone is just out here trying to give the people what they came to see in a fight that he is almost certainly going to lose, I'm going to find that just a little bit depressing. I think. I'd like to see him play to his strengths, put the mixed back in mixed martial arts. There you go. See this? He, get you a towel.
0: Get you a towel. <laughs> put on the shoulders right now. You're you're motivating me, and I'm not even involved in the fight.
1: That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, there's been a lot of talk on the internets about UFC 246 in general, vis-a-vis strength of card, vis-a-vis how fun this shit is going to be to watch by the time uh, Conor McGregor and Don Cerrone Take it to the cage for the main event. Let's run down the pay-per-view main card here real quick. Women's bantamweight fight. Holly Holm, a.k.a. Holly Holmes, against Raquel Pennington. A heavyweight bout. Alexi Olenek against Maurice the Croquet Boss. Green. Crochet Boss. Crochet Boss. Croquet Cro- Boss would be an equally good gimmick. It's a very different thing, though. You could bring a croquet mallet with you out to the cage.
0: Then you're kind of like... You're like Little strove at that <laughs> point.
1: <play. laughs> Women's strawweight fight. Claudia Godella against Alexa Grasso. And the lightweight fight... Uh, Anthony Pettis versus Carlos Diego Ferreira. What are you the looking hey, yeah. forward the, the most here? On the main card? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say all the fights, but if you want to talk about uh, Roxanne Modafferi and Macy Barber or anything else down there, now is the time. Well, this that, is the time that we have set aside <laughs> yes, the, to discuss the, the those very fights. very little
0: bit of time we set aside for it. That one isn't... The Roxanne Modafferi versus Macy Barber one is interesting just because when you look at the odds... Uh, The betting odds for this fight card, you see a lot of like pretty close lines. Like the Conor McGregor as a three to one favorite over Donald Cerrone via five dimes. Like that one is kind of an outlier because a lot of the other ones, it's like uh, you know plus one buddy's when when somebody's plus one fifty versus minus one twenty stuff like that. You know you get a couple that go into the two hundreds, but not too much until you get to this fight where you see Macy Barber as high as a ten to one favorite. Over Roxanne Modafferi. Here's a fight we're talking. Speaking of boxing matchmaking, here's a fight that smacks of that because you have Macy Barber as this, you know, fun, stylistic, banger, young fighter, very young fighter, twenty one years old, twenty one years old, uh, eight and zero as a professional, but really putting it on some people. You know, just she's only had one fight go to decision. All her fights in the UFC, she's ended them with TKOs, which. You know, again, in like, uh, especially in the women's flyweight division, you don't see it that quite as much. So when you have somebody who has that kind of fun style and a lot of future ahead of her, you can see why the USU would want to spotlight her. She wanted Paige Van Zandt. She yeah. was doing that. Paige Van Zandt, I'm calling you on the phone. Are you going to pick up? Which I thought was a, still a sweet call out. She
1: should have actually called her. That's what I'm saying.
0: Call her on a flip phone. Should have had somebody like – because that way you can do the – sad. Sati- like when you call her and you know she's not going to pick up, yeah. it's going to go to voicemail. You can leave the voicemail and then you can do the satisfying like flip it on closed. Uh, instead, the UFC is like how about Roxanne Modafferi, a grappler with no stand-up game to speak of? We think that would be a, a better thing to do instead, which it seems like you're just – you know, you're putting that on the prelims. It's the prelim main event, as they used to try to call it, on ESPN. And it seems like a situation where you're just planning on having Macy Barber go in there and beat Roxanne Montefiore the fuck up.
1: Yeah. I like how nice Roxanne Montefiore is being. Like, she, obviously, she has a reputation for being the nicest person in the world, being the happy warrior, yes. so to speak. But uh, did you see, like, the uh, the DM that she sent Macy Barber? To just be like, hey, I just wanted to let you know we might not have bathtubs in our rooms. Like, we're in this one tower in the wherever they're staying in Vegas. And my coach called to see if we would have a bathtub, obviously for cutting weight purposes. She's like, we were told that, like, we're in the tower where we don't necessarily have a bathtub. So if you're planning on using that to cut weight, you might want to call and see if you're going to have a a tub. And Macy Barber, like, put it on social media, essentially, was like, I'm paraphrasing, but she was like, she's so nice, but I'm still going to kick her ass kind of a thing. Like, hard not to love uh, Roxanne Modafferi. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, this does
0: seem like a fight where probably nothing good is going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. Especially because she doesn't have a good stand-up game. She doesn't have a great takedown game either. So, how are you going to... Like, if you can get... Macy Barber on the mat, then hey, yeah, maybe then you can put your jiu-jitsu to work. That's where Roxanne Monteferi really shines. But then how are you going to get there? And also, Roxanne Modafferi, another thing she's known for, being pretty damn tough to put away. Yeah. It kind of seems like she's going
1: to have to take a hellacious beating here yeah. at the hands of Macy Barber. Everybody knows that I have a soft spot in my heart for the crochet boss. Everybody knows that. He's coming off uh, this loss to, to Sergei Pavlovich in October. But uh, this is a big fight for him. Here against, uh, Alexi Olinick, the, uh, submission master, Mr. Ezekiel choke, who's coming off back to back losses over Alice or over him and Walt Harris, who obviously are performing at a slightly higher level. So, uh, so you got that, but I just like the, uh, first of all, Olinik is 42 years old and he has 70 fights. He the, has 70 fights. The nice
0: thing about being a, like Russian, uh, MMA fighter is that you're gonna have that that balding pattern like from the about the age of 21 yeah you're not on and you're gonna have that face and that that body and everything too so it's like the downside is that those guys especially like Igor Bobchanshan like in the Igor Bobchanshan yeah. style they tend to look 40 When they're 25. I mean, if you,
1: this is the picture of the, uh, of uh, Alexio Linux Wikipedia page. If I was like, this dude's 25, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, he's 25.
0: But the good news is that you're, you're gonna pretty much stay at that baseline. Yeah. Like even when you are 42 years old with 70 pro fights, you're not gonna look demonstrably worse. Like it's gonna be kind of more or less the same.
1: That's, that's a, a nice upside of that. By contrast, Maurice Green has 11 fights. Wow. Okay. So just a slight experience disparity here. What is there anything on the main card where you look at it and you're like, okay, this is one I can get up for? On the main card well, uh
0: the Holly Holmes versus Raquel Pennington. That that could be interesting. Although Holly Holmes can also, if she doesn't have an opponent willing to press her, can can sometimes turn into uh the person who beats the absolute shit out of the air six inches in front of her opponent's face. Yeah, that's not fun to watch. I think uh, Anthony Pettis versus Carlos Diego Ferreira is being put there as the the kickoff to the pay per view because they think, okay, here's a couple action fighters who are going to go in there and give us some fun, t- some some good fun exchanges.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you. I think that. I mean, it's possible this turns out to be a fairly entertaining card, even if it's not one that that uh, knocks our lights out. I think um, the the prelims, the the
0: ESPN prelims, there even though they don't have a ton of firepower in terms of just big names, I think that all those fights look like they'll probably be fun to actually watch. Like Drew Dober versus Nazareth Hokros. Like I mean Drew Dober hasn't fought since he got that knockout in Minneapolis in like June. He'd been trying to get a fight for like six months. I finally put him back in there. He's a fun guy to watch. Andre Feely versus Sadiq Yusuf. that should be a fun fight to watch. Uh, and then Macy Barber probably gonna do some terrible things to Roxanne Mataferi for a couple rounds. So uh, I think you you'll get a lot of action out of those prelims, and that seems to be the goal, even yeah. though you don't have anybody on there where people are like, Oh, that person's fighting, I gotta be in my seat.
1: Yeah, there's a clear marketing strategy at work here for the UFC two forty six pay-per-view. Gotta put those fun fights on the nationally televised ESPN card. Try to convert those people over to uh ESPN plus. All right, let's do just saying stuff. And then we'll get out of here this week. Ben, did you see this from Damon Martin over at MMA Fighting where Andre Feely explains why he got that hyper-realistic tattoo of Uriah Faber no. on his leg? Although I do want to hear that explanation. Let me see if I can scroll down here. It to is the, just a damn good likeness. I know. It's a really uh, high-quality tattoo, whoever yeah. did it. That is always
0: the big threat when you go with a portrait tattoo.
1: Yeah, you don't. I mean, you didn't, you didn't get a Johnny Cash type situation here no. with, uh, with Uriah Faber. There's, there's no other human being on the planet that this tattoo could be of other than Uriah Faber. Here's Andre possibly Liz Mm Carmouche. All right, here's Andre Feely's explanation about why he got it. It's to pay homage to Faber, but it's also about the team in general. This group of dudes who ra- this is the group of dudes who raised me, Feely explained. Uh, I would probably be in jail right now if it wasn't for Team Alpha Male. I was on house arrest when I got to go to Team Alpha Male. Uh, it's not hard to draw the conclusion where I would be without this team. I'd be in jail for sure. I have no question. I'd be either be in jail or I'd be getting out of jail working some deadbeat job. Uh, And then he says, if you talk to Faber, he'll tell you the opposite. I've said that to Faber before. He basically saved saved my life. But he said, fuck you. You would have figured it out without me. But it's true. He won't admit it. But that motherfucker saved my life. I guess I'm just saying, okay. I guess. I feel like it's still pretty weird to have Uriah Faber tattooed on your leg. But I guess, Andre Feely. That's the best possible
0: explanation you could have. yeah. And let me tell you something. The version of the Uriah Faber tattoo that you get in jail, nowhere near as good a likeness. Yeah. There you go. Jen, mind just saying stuff. It was mentioned earlier on in the listener mail about a conversation between Brendan Chubb and Donald Cerrone no. about trans identity. Okay. Which, the minute I, I go on Twitter and it's like, Donald Cerrone and Brendan Chubb are going to have a conversation about trans people, I'm going, uh oh. And then they have this conversation. Brendan Schaub, to his credit, keeps trying to present it in a way that will make sense to Donald Cerrone and to convince him that it is a real thing. Donald Cerrone just not buying it. At one point saying, if you're born with a dick, you're a dude. And that's just all Donald Cerrone needs to know about it. I guess I'm just saying, you you don't have to have an opinion on every topic. No, and you don't have to say it where anyone else can hear it. No, just... Maybe it's a sign that you are just ending up in situations with microphones in front of your faces and cameras pointed at you. Yeah. For too much of your day. Yeah. Because don't, we don't need to know what you think about absolutely everything.
1: Well, it's possible that Donald Cerrone and uh, Brendan Schaub have both come to regard themselves as guys people want to hear from. So, you know, they're kind of like, why not? Why not talk about this particular issue? Why not do a, a deep dive into no. the uh, the monarchy of Mongolia? Who will ascend next to the throne? With my deep knowledge that I have about this uh, subject matter, I guess I'm just saying if you don't really know about a given
0: topic, you don't have to just spout off about it. You could just be like, "I don't, I don't really know. I don't understand, and this is not something that I am an authority enough to be speaking
1: on." Just saying. Just saying ironical coming from a couple of dudes who run a podcast, but you know, whatever that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week to break down the stuff that happens at uh, UFC 246, Conor McGregor versus Donald Cerrone. Uh, this week's going to be a normal week. We'll have the live chat on Wednesday. We'll have the power hour on Friday next week. I'll be on the road. So we might have to figure something out. Uh, I think we can record some stuff for the people, for the people at home. You think so? Huh? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Stay tuned for that. As for right now, though, we are done, we are through, we are out.
0: You know, you didn't even ask me about the alpaca party, but I'm going to tell you, you know what the best part about the alpaca, the best and the the scariest part about the alpaca party was?
1: What was the best slash scariest part of the alpaca party?
0: You're out there, you're feeding the alpacas, you're petting the alpacas, everybody's having a good time. And you notice one of them has a human hand in (laughs) his mouth. And then one of them, just at once, all the alpacas prick up their ears. Turn around and stare silently off into the treeline. Oh my god. They definitely know about something that's over there that I don't know about. I'm looking over there and I can't, I don't see anything. Yeah. The alpacas know
1: something's over there. That reminds me of when my daughter was like two years old and was just sort of learning to talk. We were coming out of a store and I was carrying her and she was looking over my shoulder. And uh, I heard her say something and I was like, what did you say? And she was just like, monster coming. Monster coming. <laughs> I had to turn around and look, be like, what the fuck, it was like I didn't see a monster, but that even actually made it worse Now the alpacas, all those alpacas in unison say a monster yeah. And then you notice one of them had a human foot And you're going to make it weird Well you said it was going to be scary, scary part
0: This is why you're not welcome at the alpaca. this is why I can't bring you to an alpaca party Introduce you to some nice people, some nice alpaca people Because well, you don't know how to act right No, true, that's true